The following episode contains discussion of self-harm, suicide, and suicidal ideation. John, you ask me. You ask me, John, why do you have so many musicians, so many singer-songwriters on your show? Surely, John, the world is filled with mostly people who don't write personal confessional songs and then strum guitars and sing those words for an audience or onto a recording for distribution. Why, John, you ask me, why is this such a thing on your mental health show, this singer-songwriter thing? Why do you do that? Well, thank you for asking, and I'll tell you why I do that on this program. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Oh, look, here comes another musician now. It's Rhett Miller. There are a few reasons why I put so many musicians on Depression Mode. One of them is just that I like music, and I consider writing music and playing music to be a kind of sorcery, a sort of alchemy. It's magical and neat. Another reason we book musicians on the show is that we can play samples of the guests' work on the show in a way that we couldn't if we were talking to, say, a plumber. Nothing against the creative work of plumbers, it's just really hard to convey that on audio. This is a little easier. It's a new song called Runaway by this week's guest, Lydia Lovelace. And another reason why we have a lot of musicians is that there's something about music that can connect to people in a deep and profound way, make you feel less alone, like the thoughts that you have, one might unfairly call them crazy thoughts, are in fact shared thoughts, shared experiences. And we're all about sharing experiences on this show. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're... I've already done that part. Lydia Lovelace's music has been classified as alt-country. Wikipedia says her music combines pop music, classic country, honky-tonk, and punk rock. And while I'm not in the habit of quoting Wikipedia, they did a pretty good job on that one. Lydia, who uses she-they pronouns, is about to release a new album called Nothing's Gonna Stand in My Way Again. It's her eighth album, going back to 2010, and it marks a return to Bloodshot Records, a label they parted ways with under difficult circumstances that we'll get into a little bit later. And this new album is bracing. It gets pretty raw. Lydia has been dealing with depression and suicidal ideation for a long time, and when she writes music, it's all there. I was jotting down lyrics as I listened. Gotta make a living, but I don't have the will to live anymore. Yes. <laughs> um, every time I drive on the highway, I want to jerk the wheel to the right. Every time I'm on the sidewalk, I want to step on into the road. Yes. What are we to make of those? I, I know you don't want to explain this is what this song is about. and It's right. not as simple as an A to B correlation, but yeah. what are we to make of those? 
funny the yeah the 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 very suicidal lines those those come barreling in like they're the hard to miss <laughs> too it's like the first line is i want to die but um <laughs> right. the first time my sister heard that she was like these are horrible lyrics how can you say such things and i was just like i'm just being honest so yeah the line about like not having the will to live like it's it's funny because that's from sex and money which is like probably the poppiest song on the record but it's all about you know feeling like a failure in my career at that moment i literally wrote it on tour and i just felt like you know it was our first tour back after covid and i just felt like a complete failure i was completely miserable i was throwing up all day because i was hungover i was ashamed but I had a really catchy song idea. So a riff is a riff, you know. At work. And as far as the other line, the song Runaway, yeah, I was just I I was realizing every time I went home to my relationship, I was just completely unhappy. You know, my partner and I would fight. And I was just realizing I am so unhappy. I I there's a line from that song every time i go to the airport i try to miss my flight and i truly was at a point in my life where i would be on my way to fly home and i would just have a complete meltdown and want to like switch flights and go to like kansas and start a new life and i was like my gut is trying to tell me something i need to make a change right now yeah when you don't want to go home that's uh... (laughs) there's not really a worse feeling than that honestly this wasn't your first experience with, I guess, what we'd call depression, with, with major depressive disorder. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've pretty much been depressed my entire life. So. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning then. Where did you grow up? So I grew up on an 80-acre farm in this place called Newcastle, Ohio. It's like a little northeast of Columbus, which is where I am now. And yeah, extremely isolated i th- i think that's where a lot of the loneliness in me comes from just you know being in a very small town not a lot of people that i had anything in common with cuz my family was you know a bunch of like intellectual farm folk that like to watch musicals and and get drunk and shoot guns <laughs> i don't know it was just i didn't feel like there that was does sound pretty intellectual i got to say <laughs> oh yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> and is Loveless your actual last name? It is not. Okay. I, <laughs> I was I was gonna say that would that would be, you know, for someone who writes sad songs, that's just uh, that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> that was a name I came up with when I was fourteen and uh haven't been able to shake, so Okay. Well that that's fine. <laughs> when did depression enter your life? Um, I mean I I guess just as a child I would I would definitely have feelings of deep emptiness and sadness. I mean, I can remember that as young as like being like seven years old, but my family is very like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or make them sound bad, but we're the kind of family that like, if someone's bored, it's a reason to be mad at them. They're like not trying hard enough. And I always assumed that what I was experiencing was boredom and I just needed to find a way to entertain myself. And I realized, you know, when I got older that I was just deeply sad. (laughs) That's what it was. Why does that make you laugh? I I don't know because uh, it's awkward. To okay, all right, that's <laughs> that's fair. So you you were sad, but you mistook it for boredom. Yes, yes. Okay, and I think that's yeah been kind of an, a theme in my life. 
<laughs> determining when I am sad versus maybe I just need a snack or to uh, go work on a project, you know? Right, right. Was mental health a, a thing that was talked about in your in your house growing up? Not particularly. You know, my, my family is very religious, so oftentimes that coincides with not really believing in therapy. Instead, you take it to God or you take it to your priest or whatever. But, I mean, over the years, my family has become very open to talking about mental health because it's affected all of us. Um, we've had, you know, a pretty healthy dose of trauma in all our lives. And th there's a lot of mental illness in my family. So it's become way more talked about, you know, medication is no longer a bad word. Therapy is a cool thing now. So that's been interesting to watch over the years. But in my childhood, no, it was not really a thing that we discussed. So when did you start figuring out that this wasn't boredom and when did you start getting or did you start getting help for it? Mm -hmm. I didn't go to therapy until I was like 22, but I was very interested in reading about mental health and, and psychology. I just didn't have access to it, but I, I struggled a lot just throughout my teenage years. You know, there were a lot of things going on that sort of caused me to spiral into a lot of depressive episodes. And ultimately I was, I was on tour in Scandinavia when I was 22 and I definitely should have been having the time of my life and I was married and I was doing pretty well, but I just, I felt completely isolated. I, I didn't have anyone that I could really talk to and I ended up having a really bad breakdown. I completely ruined a show because I was just a, an absolute mess and ended up hurting myself really bad. And when I got home from Europe, I just told my manager, like, look, I've been on tour for a million days in the past couple of years. I am really unhappy and I'm going to quit music and maybe kill myself if I don't get into therapy and like take a little bit of a step back from this for a moment. This was when you were 22? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he actually listened to me and <laughs> took me seriously. And uh, I I found a counselor through him. It was sort of like a rock and roll punk rock counseling situation. But it was the first time that I'd ever spoken to anyone about the things that were bothering me and, and how unhappy I was. And it helped me a lot. What is a rock and roll punk rock counselor? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's where your manager and said- when, And when can I book an appointment with one? Yeah. It was basically, I was just having like tea with this guy. His name is Bela Kokompetcher and he's a, he just put out a book actually called Love and Photosynthesis. And he's kind of just, he, he is a counselor and a social worker, but I, I didn't have really any healthcare access. So it was just me meeting up with him and getting tea and him asking me what was wrong and me having no idea how to tell him what was wrong for like the first few weeks. But eventually it it ended up being very beneficial for me to have that relationship. So, 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 what happened over the course of those weeks where it started to turn around? What what change happened? You know, I've always been a very shy, awkward person. So a lot of it was just me learning how to speak to another human that I wasn't in a band with or married to, and the other half was 
me accepting that I think my biggest hurdle was someone asking me what was wrong and then telling me why I was doing the things I was doing really irritated me because I thought to myself, like, well, I know why I'm doing these things. I need to know how to stop doing them. And I didn't really realize that that learning why you're doing something is is the first step to being able to stop stop doing detrimental things. So then did the detrimental things stop? Not necessarily. I think a lot of what was making me very unhappy is that I was married to a bandmate and I had no space for myself. And I felt like I could never get out of that situation. I felt like if I left my marriage, I would lose my career and I would lose everything I had worked for. And I, in looking back now, I'm like, well, I was the breadwinner and I was the cool, <laughs> badass, badass rock and roller in that situation. But I, I didn't know how to leave. And I really had to hear myself say that out loud that I wanted to leave. And it took about three more years of talking it out and having people tell me that I was strong and I, I had worth. So between a, a marriage when you were young and then this long relationship that you were just in, you're not, you're not mm. very old now. So you've really no. been in, <laughs> in these relationships a very long time. Yes. Yeah. I, that's, that's been the biggest thing I've learned this, the last two years is that, you know, I really didn't know myself and I didn't know how to be an adult and kind of my first reaction to being single for the first year was I'm, I need to find someone to take care of me and help me <laughs> with these problems. And when that didn't appear in exactly the way I wanted it to, I was like, Oh, I guess I'll keep toughing it out. And I'm just now getting to the point now where I'm like, this is great. I'm, you know, I live in a complete dump, horrible, I don't have air conditioning, but I can do what I want to do and no one's yelling at me. And it's cool that I have to pay my own bills. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're back in Columbus now, you said. Yes. So seems like life is pretty different in a lot of ways. Like you're not the the rock star in a relationship as much anymore. You're still a rock star. Don't get me yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what has that done for your for your depression? This big life change. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a little difficult to come back home. I think when you move back home from being elsewhere, the impression is that you failed at something. But for me, I, I wanted to come back because my my friend started a recording studio and said that I could work there after I finished my recording program. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last two years is trying to get really good at engineering and producing. So I've been sort of just like completely rebuilding my life from scratch. Obviously, since COVID, the music business has not been exactly booming either, but it's given me a lot of time to decompress and figure out what I want my career and my life to look like, which is exciting. It's boring and, and really hard sometimes, but it's exciting. Just ahead, Lydia Lovelace tries to figure out what life is like without a partner with some careful management of mental health and with some new pronouns. As we go to break, here's more music off Nothing's Gonna Stand In My Way Again, songs called Sex and Money.
in an alternate universe where Hollywood is smarter. And the Emmy nominees for Outstanding Comedy Series are Jet Pacula, Airport Marriott, Thruple, Dear America, We've Seen You Naked, and Allah in the Family. In our stupid universe, you can't see any of these shows, but you can listen to them on Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that brings you hilarious comedy pilots that the networks and streamers bought but never made. Journey to the alternate television universe of Dead Pilot Society on MaximumFun.org. Back with singer-songwriter Lydia Lovelace. Something that, that I read on your Wikipedia page and that we were advised about is that you use she, her, they, them pronouns and and uh, define yourself as, as gender fluid. Mm-hmm. When did that knowledge come to you? That's something I've definitely felt since childhood. I don't think I had any idea how to come to terms with it when I was a kid, but you know, I've, I've been fairly out for the last, I would say five or so years with, in my personal life. I mean, there's a lot of people who aren't as accepting of it and they might be my family members. So it's a little scary to talk about, but I think for me, accepting how I feel and how I present myself and how how I want to live my life has has been very freeing for me as well. And what has that done for your for your depression the, coming out about that? It's it's been a little terrifying, but it feels good. I I like how I feel. I like the swagger that I feel now. I just feel generally better. It's some when you feel that way your entire life and you can finally have access to language and acceptance it feels pretty fucking great <laughs> so yeah. when did you come out about that i pretty much only told a select group of friends and i didn't have like a big moment of coming out i think a lot of people who know me already already knew but lately it's it's been in like the last year that i've been telling people that aren't you know, super close to me. And I've been more public about it. I'm kind of a, a lyrics nerd. Like when I listen to to music, I, I'm i like, yeah, there, there's melodies in there, but let, let me out those words. And I noticed, I noticed that the name of the album is Nothing's Gonna Stand in My Way Again, <laughs> which sounds very bold and, you know, self-help book kind of thing. Yeah. But the full lyric it's taken from is Now That I'm Dead. <laughs> Nothing's going to stand in my way again. I like that you uh, observed that. Yeah, it it is uh, it is kind of meant to be coy. You know, I this record really does feel like a comeback for me and like escaping from a very difficult few years and, and situation. So in a way, yes, it is a badass don't fuck with me statement. But when you think about the entire lyric in context it is about you know I wrote that song when I felt like I was wasting my life and I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing and I I wasn't where I wanted to be and I 
I wrote it about, you know, the the concept that we're all going to die and go to this magical land where we get a second chance and we get to start over. And that's possibly not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not going to claim that I know what happens when we die, but um, this is pretty much the only chance I'm going to get to make my myself happy and and feel good. So I guess I was in a way yelling at myself that I was going to wait until I was dead to make decisions that would make me happy. Oh, see, I was reading it a different way. I thought, I thought <laughs> now, now that I'm dead, you know, nothing's going to happen at all. I mean, that's also, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of layers to it. You can, you can look at it in a lot of ways. Pretty much all of my records have some fairly suicidal songs. And that is definitely one that touches on that. Why do you keep coming back to suicidal themes? I just think about it a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's my comfort thought. That's really, sorry. I'm trying not to laugh about all these fucked No, things. go ahead and laugh. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> if, if that helps you deal with the awkwardness, then go ahead and laugh. It's suicide's been a big part of my life. I've known people who have, who have died by suicide. I've, I've had a lot of family members use it as, as a threat over the years. So it's just, it's something that I think about a lot. I think about death a lot. And I think the main thing that I think is that I want, oh, this is going to get real dark. Sorry. <laughs> the, You've the come world, to the right place, my friend. The world is so fucked up. Like I, I want to go out on my terms. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to, and uh, I don't want anyone to worry about me, but the world's a fucked up place. So. I really don't want anyone. I don't want to get taken out at Kroger by a gunman. So, yeah, it's it's always in the back of my mind, I guess. Is it cathartic to to write and sing about that kind of thing? Is there some some healing that goes along with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't make anything go away, but saying things out loud is always, is always good. I've had a conversation with a, a, a friend of mine who was recalling a conversation with a neurologist that, that he knows or a, a neuroscientist who says that there's, that there's science behind the idea that listening to sad songs can make you feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's counterintuitive that listening to Patsy Cline sing about all her pain can make you feel better, but it, it's, right. there's, there's stuff that backs that up. Is that the case with you and your listening as well as your music making? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, songwriting is is like 90% about lyrics and, and things that I need to get out. So, And then when you put melody behind really sad thoughts it, and it makes them beautiful, it it does wonders for me. And listening to other people and being able to hear things that you've been through because it's the human experience that that always feels better. What do you like to listen to? I think someone that lyrically blows me away lately is Indigo D'Souza. I think she's incredible. But lately, I have been stuck on a terrible early 2090s playlist because i'm depressed and i'm not feeling creative so what's on your playlist 
Oh, you know, just it's just one of those terrible like LFO um, steal my sunshine bullshit playlists that I put on when I'm driving and uh, don't want to dissociate. And I just want to listen to happy, <laughs> ridiculous shit from my childhood. OK, so kind of the opposite of listening to the. Uh... Yes. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm proving our theory wrong about these bad songs. <laughs> but yeah. I, I go through different phases where I'm I'm very exploratory with music and then I go through weeks where I'm just like, I don't want to think about shit. Just just play like what a man and take me away, baby Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you religious? Not exactly. I mean I, I grew up extremely religious, so that that definitely put me through the mental gymnastics of, you know, overthinking everything. But I don't know if I would necessarily call myself an atheist, but I definitely don't believe that God is a white man that is literally in the sky going to take us all to the golden roads of heaven. But I have a decent amount of of Buddhism in me, too. So that's kind of been a big thing for me since I was about 17. And what is that? What does that meant for for this depression that you've talked about having for a very long time and have still presently as we speak yeah i think i think meditation and particularly things like the loving kindness meditation help me to you know i have a lot i don't i don't know if i'm an angry person but i have been through a lot of shit particularly with my family in regards to mental health and trauma and i don't want to walk around pissed off at my parents all the time so being able to have an understanding and a compassion for them has been a very big deal for me. Otherwise, I might be angry. <laughs> Are they still pretty religious then? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. And I I don't fault them for that. It's just we have different perspectives on the matter, for sure. So the new record is on Bloodshot Records, and, and you've been you've returned to bloodshot records after some time away and a series of incidents involving um, sexual assault and harassment from uh, somebody formerly, I guess around that label associated with associated with right. Or someone will yell at me. (laughs) Right. Right. Which would seem to really throw a wrench into the creative process and to the life of a of someone who makes music what what did that what did that situation do for your mental health and for your music uh going through it or getting out of it well both yeah i mean going through it uh basically destroyed me it destroyed my self-esteem i was i was told by by people at the time that were you know actively stealing from me and stealing my joy and stealing my autonomy by, you know, assaulting me that I wasn't working hard enough and I just wasn't profitable. And I was, I was working so hard. I was on tour all the time. I w- I felt surely that I was selling records and it turns out that I was. So it really broke my brain for a really long time. And coming out of it was even harder being told that I destroyed 25 years of hard work for people and that I was throwing people under the bus when I felt like I had done nothing wrong. Please don't sue me for saying any of this, but um, 
yeah, it's, it was the worst thing I've ever been through to be, to finally come out about it. And maybe I didn't go about it in the best way. Maybe I had, you know, had a bottle of wine and, and tweeted my way into a nightmare, but um, I didn't feel like I was wrong. I felt like I was doing the right thing and trying to protect other people from going through what I went through. And I kind of got nothing but shit for it for a very long time. But what I learned was I'm, I'm making art because I have to, and I want to, and I love it. And it doesn't matter if at the end of the day, some fucking two bit label owner wants to tell me that I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm still going to do it. And I'm, I'm going to put my heart and soul into it. That was a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no. I mean, so this, this happened and this was, like you say, a person affiliated with the label and, and uh, doing a bunch of really creepy things. And I don't think we need to go into a lot of detail on what those creepy things were, because I think by this point in our cultural moment, we understand. We all know. <laughs> we all know what goes along with that. What did that do to your sense of of self and how you thought of yourself, which was a, a status that seems like it was already in some jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, I, I was already, it's, it's hard to explain. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and we were talking about how sexualized we were as kids. And when that happens to you, it gives you a really skewed sense of identity because it makes you feel like no matter what you do, because when you're a child and you don't want to be sexualized and you you aren't trying to be sexual and someone sexualizes you, it it makes you realize that you there's nothing you can do to keep predators from viewing you that way. But it feels like your fault. Um, I'm going to stumble over my words a lot with this right. concept, but um. It's so, you know, even though I was, you know, technically an adult, I mean, I was 19 when this person entered my life. So I still very much felt like a kid. I just felt like, oh, this is happening again because I am bad and I make these things happen to me. You know, I had as a child, a family member sexualize me quite, quite a lot. And his wife told me that if I didn't behave the way I did, it wouldn't happen. And I was six years old. So I had no idea oh what I had done to invite that into my life. And that's something, that's a statement that I think about all the time. You know, if I didn't act a certain way or present myself a certain way, maybe I could prevent this from happening. But, you know, something I've, I'm definitely realizing is that it it isn't my fault and it's nothing that I'm doing. It's just that some people really fucking suck. So, Yeah. Yeah. When you write music, when you write a song that you will then perform, are you, do we read this as these are my real thoughts? This is what I'm thinking right now. This is, this is my point of view or are there characters in it or are there, you know, versions of you that different versions that might be reporting to the world from, from different songs? How, mm -hmm. where, where is the you in these things? There, there's always a lot of me, but I would say within a lot of my songs, there is a dialogue. You know, one verse could be from my perspective and the second one could be from someone else's. So it's difficult to pinpoint exactly which songs, but yeah, there are definitely characters and there are songs written for people to be 
from their perspective and also for them. And some of it is just all me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's difficult to explain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned if, people are hearing a song and saying, is that about me? Is that about me? Are you writing about me? How do you deal with, how do you deal with that? Do you need to like publish a list of what's about who or what? <laughs> I could, I guess I can do that. I, I like to keep mystery to things because I, you know, there are songs that I love and I don't want them ruined for me by the songwriter telling me how I'm supposed to take it. You know, it's important to me to let, people relate to things on their own terms not to say that i'll never explain a song or where it was coming from but it it's nice to let people come to the song and feel how they need to feel is there a part of you that wants to make lfo type music or something like steal my sunshine by lynn absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> like something really damn poppy yeah, I've wanted to do that for a long time. Do you know how? No, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, so I have a song that, oh God, it's in my holster and it's terrible, but it's called Baseball Butts. And it's a song I wrote um, <laughs> after going to see the Cubs and it got stuck in my head. And it's about being at the ball game and, and looking at baseball butts. And uh, my partner at the time walked into the house and I was in the midst of recording it. And he was like, what is going on here? And I was just like... <laughs> Tell no one. But um, I ended up putting it on SoundCloud. I guess if you look really hard, you can probably find it. But I basically just didn't tell anyone except my friends. And then they started playing it at like bars. And now every summer I get like four to five text messages a month of just a baseball player's butt. And uh, <laughs> it's just become a huge thing. So I would like to make music that brings joy to people in that way. <laughs> so sure. why is why is baseball butts on SoundCloud, but not on this new album? <laughs> it's so bad so my brother's a drummer and i like was programming the drums like without a click and just sort of playing everything manually and my brother heard and he was like i can't listen to this because it's so offbeat and like terrible and i hate it <laughs> so yeah <laughs> it might need some touching up now that i know a little more about recording but yeah <laughs> okay even as we talk right now our producers are are heading over to soundcloud and downloading baseball butts <laughs> as quickly as they possibly can. If you can. can find it, I'll be extremely impressed. We have, we have good researchers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope people get from this uh, new album? Well, I really want people to think the songs are catchy, and that's kind of my number one goal. But we live in like such a bleak time right now, especially for artists, and everything just feels very dismal. And I guess what I want people to get is a lot of the, the deeper tones on a, maybe a song like sex and money and find maybe a sense of humanity again. I know I'm not going to save the human race with this record, but I, I do hope it makes people think and feel things. I hope it brings a little bit of joy, but I, I do want to make people cry too. Yeah. Why do you want to make people cry? Uh, cause it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to cry or to make them cry. <laughs> no, it feels good to cry. I think. Yes. <laughs> okay. If you're feeling things, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how is, how is your depression doing today? As we talk? 
you know, today I feel, I feel really good. I, I met up with my friend last night and we were talking about the crazy things that have happened to us recently and, and how particularly in, you know, a year ago I was desperate to find a relationship that was going to fix me. And, and now I'm just really excited about my work again. I, I feel really free to make the art that I want to make. I feel like I have a good support system and, and that makes me really happy. I'm a little terrified of the whole concept of people listening to this and hearing me talk about my, my suicidal ideation and sadness, but I think that feels good too. I, re I really feel like I have a future again for the first time in a really long time. So I feel good. Do you think if COVID had never happened, if there had never been a pandemic, you'd be in the same place you are now? No, absolutely not. I think I'd, I'd, I'd probably still be coasting. What do you mean coasting? Um, I'd be letting someone take care of me and, and not confronting my own bullshit, I think. So how did COVID change that? I lost everything that I had worked really hard for, which kind of happened a couple of years before when I blew up my life, leaving my label. But um, I, I really had to confront what I wanted out of life and and why I was unhappy because I couldn't go anywhere. I I couldn't escape myself and I couldn't escape my relationship that felt had felt like a safety net until then. And then when sort of the veneer was ripped off, I had to confront my lack of independence, my codependency, really. Was that done with the help of therapy or did you just do that on your own? A little bit, yeah. I was still seeing a therapist then. I, I also got on medication shortly before the pandemic, which was probably a really big lifesaver because I don't know how I would have dealt with going into the pandemic unmedicated, but yeah. Huh. Okay, good. Are you still <laughs> doing therapy now? No, I need to find a new therapist. That's That's a big hurdle for me. So I definitely would not recommend that anyone like me uh, not be in therapy. So anyone listening at home, do not do as I do. But yeah, like, I'm definitely on the hunt for a new therapist. Okay, good. Are you gonna <laughs> are you gonna send them a copy of the album before the first session? Just saying, here, I want you to know what you're up against here. That might be wise. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have good news. Lydia, we, it looks like we have found on SoundCloud baseball. Oh, my books. God. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so now, now even though we're, we're going to add that in post, you know, days, days from now, Can't we wait. all know what we're going out on. I need to find it. Yeah. I haven't listened to it in a long time. It's pretty crazy. We'll send you a link. Lydia <laughs> Loveless, thank you so much. Thank you. That's Lydia Lovelace. Their new album is Nothing's Gonna Stand in My Way Again. That comes out on September 22nd. Not appearing on that album? Baseball butts. Baseball's so boring. It takes so long. But if I get bored, I'll just check out your dong. Staring at your ass, stained with grass. Makes the games go by so fast I'll send my boyfriend to buy me another 60-ounce beer It's not the double play that's making me cheer Can't tell if I need to burp 
or just need a nut? Bend over, let me look at your baseball butts. Baseball butts. Baseball butts. Laura House and a meditation moment right after the break. I'm Jesse Thorne. Bullseye is celebrating 50 years of hip-hop by bringing you an entire month of brand new interviews with rappers. That means Jeezy. I put my pain in the music. Angie Stone. You know, hip-hops. We called them hops back then. Master P. Music is what's going to open the doors for us, but whatever we come up with after this, it's going to be bigger. Plus, Chica, Saba, even the greatest of them all, Rakim. That's this September. Open up that podcast app, type in Bullseye, and hit subscribe. You're not going to want to miss any of this. Well, let's take a meditation moment here, shall we, with our friend Laura House from Maximum Fun's Tiny Victory podcast. Hi, Laura. Hi, John. You uh, were talking recently about the idea of meditation as an act of rebellion. <laughs> yes. I. Yeah, well, first of all, I like any kind of framing of meditation other than what we think of. Right. Other than, you know, robes and sky and right. et cetera. And prepare for a compliment. I feel like they might make <laughs> you uncomfortable. But you're like a cool guy. Like you're like a cool music guy podcast guy like your your taste in music is impeccable and i just think like meditation we don't have to think like well I, but i'm not a say i'm not calm i can't meditate we can be like mm. you know what it's cool it's rebel like you're not supposed to stop working right but meditation is like you know what hold my calls i'm the boss you know i'm not gonna do that thing right now I, this i'm putting is me the time. system on trial Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to rage against the machine by not being involved for a few minutes. I'm going to peacefully sit against the machine. Yeah. I'm going to guess what this is like, because we're so trained and, you know, we're just pursue money and pursue stuff. And this is like, no, guess what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just sit here and feel good for a minute. Boom. Yes. There you go. All right. I, it didn't sound super rebellious there at the end. But. No, the boom is good. <laughs> but it um, is a little. It is a little like no. I'm you know I'm I'm taking back the day, and you can do it anytime. You know how you say that you're going to have these loose thoughts and you just have to let them happen. Yeah. My loose thought is this: sage against the machine. <laughs> I've said it out loud. Now I could let it drift away. I can't wait to read your next McSweeney's piece. <laughs> There it goes. goes. All right. Let's have you get us to a better place. (laughs) All right. I I need a Sage Against the Machine t-shirt. I think we do have to. (laughs) Look for it in the merch shop, folks. It's very good. All right. So, yeah, you're taking some time to yourself, guitar riff. So get where you can sit comfortably, safely, close your eyes. And here's the thing, you're already breathing, so just put some attention on that and therefore off of all the other stuff. We all have 78 things we need to do today, but not doing it right now. 
So just notice your breath. And you're having other thoughts. You're going to have other thoughts. We're, we're not even going to do anything about it. Thoughts can be there. And at the same time, we just notice our breath. Let everything else just sort of fade away. And go ahead and open your eyes. <sighs> How was that? Did it work to go in rebellion-y or were you too <laughs> amped up? <laughs> well, I kind of felt like the rebellion succeeded right at the beginning. And then and then I was living in this new sort of better society that... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, we overthrew our oppressors. It was great. Man. We saged against the machine. We saged against the machine, and all I had to do is sit here and breathe. What a what a bargain! <laughs> That's all it is. That's Meditate. All it is. You can do it. It's just that simple. Laura House can be found on the internet at laurahouse.com. She can be found on Maximum Fun at the Tiny Victories podcast. Laura, thank you as always. Thank you. If people donate to the show, we can keep having a show. If people stop donating, show goes away. Let's not make the show go away. If you've already donated to Depression Mode, if you've become a member, thank you. You know that you listen differently once you become a member. It becomes your show even more. So if you haven't donated yet, it's easy to do. Just go to MaximumFun.org join. MaximumFun.org join. Find a level that works for you and then pick Depression Mode from the list of shows there. Be sure to hit subscribe, give us five stars, write rave reviews. All of that helps get the show out into the world where it can help people. Speaking of helping people, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24-7 for free in the United States by calling 988. The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available. Text HOME to 741-741. Our Instagram and Twitter are both at DepressPod. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies, and become a member of that. Lots of good dialogue happening there about the show and about mental health in general and about just people helping each other out in the world. Our Depression Mode newsletter is on Substack. You can search that up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe and Instagram also at John Moe. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. Hi, Credits listeners. Like Lydia Loveless, I've also written some songs over the years, a lot less successfully than Lydia to much smaller crowds and less acclaim and more total obscurity. One song I wrote was called It's All Fun and Games Till Someone Pokes Their Heart Out. Country song. Depression Mode is made possible by your contributions. The show is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. We got booking help from Mara Davis. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our music, including our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out 
Building wings, building wings, building wings. No one knows the reason. Maybe there's no reason. I just keep believing. No one knows the answer. Maybe there's no answer. I just keep on dancing. I'm Migs from Southeast Asia. May your heart be your guiding key. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.